0: morning, everyone. Is everybody doing well? Yeah? That well? Good to hear it. So good to be together, to worship together. We had some fun last night. We went out to a baseball game. We went, took the ministry leaders once a year. We try to set aside an evening as just an appreciation night for all the folks that served by leading ministries, leading community groups, and leading major ministries in the church, and try to get them out for just an evening of of some fun and some relaxation just so we can express our gratitude to them. And not everybody was able to make it. And so I just, uh, gosh, I just want to say a big heartfelt thank you for those of you who lead community groups, who lead ministries, leading children's ministry, leading the teen ministry, uh leading the the tech ministry leading the worship ministry thank you thank you for all all what you do and 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 i hope that that just i hope you feel our appreciation uh you help build the church you help us be who god's called us to be and and i know it's it it can take its toll to say yes okay i want to be involved yes i want to take some responsibility yes i want to lead it's not easy, uh, it might sound fun at first, and six months later, you're like, it's, it's work. It takes time, it takes effort, and yet these good folks uh, just love the Lord and love the church, and uh, we love you for the grace of God uh, in you. So heartfelt thank you to all of you who serve in just a variety of ways. Uh, our text this morning is in Mark chapter seven, continuing our study through the gospel according to Mark. In our study, we are setting out to learn who Jesus is. And so each week, we are sort of, in a sense, adding to the list. Who is Jesus? And we answer the question a little bit, a week at a time, adding one other facet, one new dimension. He is so powerful. He is so glorious. He is so Competent, He's so loving, and we, and we keep sort of piling up this, this portrait of Christ as we're studying our way through the gospel according to Mark. This morning, our text is going to show us something that I'm going to say is something that's hard to believe about Jesus. We're going to talk about something this morning that is hard to believe about Jesus, and it's kind of like this. That when you and I are at our worst, when we are weakest, when we are struggling the most, that those are the times that Christ's heart is inclined towards you. I'm saying that that's hard to believe. Jesus can do miracles. Piece of cake. No problem. I get it. Don't have... Problems believing Jesus is supernatural, He's powerful, He can do miracles, He can heal people, He can speak the word, create things. That's easy. But our natural inclination, and we we'll all experience this, when we're doing well, when life is good, when things are in place, it is our natural inclination to think God's good, the Lord's with us, He's smiling, it's working got the parking place, got the bonus, got the promotion, made the sale, she said yes, it's good. Isn't the Lord good? There's some favor coming my way. It's a natural inclination. When things are good, Jesus is good. But on the other side of that, when we have problems, when we struggle, when we fail, when there's setbacks, when things don't go so well, in fact, when things go terribly bad, there is a natural inclination, an inclination in all of our hearts to think immediately, where's God? Why is he pulling back? Why is he hiding? Why is he withholding? Is he in some way disappointed in me? What's going on here? And in those times, in those times in particular, and we're, in a sense, in general, we're living in those times. We're in a season right now, and our reaction is to withdraw and pull back. Life is not going well, Jesus is not looking so good, and so we retreat, we withdraw. We quiet down. We isolate. We get further and further and further away We, because we perceive somehow God is not as much for us as he is when times are good. What I want to say this morning is that it is precisely at those times when we feel at our worst and perceive him not inclined towards us that those are the times that jesus heart is particularly and peculiarly inclined towards you that in those times he is as much for you as ever and that he is moving in to our weakness let's read our text short paragraph Last paragraph in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark Jesus heals a deaf man. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness in order to invite us to him in our weakness. This is the exchange I want to encourage you into. I want you to know that Jesus is inclined towards you, towards me, in our weakness, in our lowest point, in our worst point. He's inclined towards us in order to invite us to be inclined to him and to come to him in our weakness. This is so important because in our weakness, are the times we are least inclined to come to anyone for help. Those are the times we pull back. Two points this morning, only two instead of three. Jesus' sympathy for one man and Jesus' sympathy for us. Let's take a look at this man's situation. What was his problem? Quite clear, he was unable to hear, he was deaf. He could not hear a sound and he was unable to speak the two often go hand in hand so besides never hearing all the sounds of life never hearing a bird singing never hearing the rain fall on the roof never hearing a, a piece of music a song sung this kids singing in the back seat of the car or fighting in the back seat of the car never heard it never heard a sound but in spite of not hearing all the sounds, both good and bad, beautiful and ugly, all the sounds of the world, what was so significant about this issue is that he was so cut off from humanity. Communication couldn't take place. No verbal communication. He couldn't hear. He couldn't speak. He couldn't interact. He could see He could see people laughing, but he wouldn't know the joke. He could see two friends enjoying some conversation together, have no idea what they were talking about. Why is that person angry? Why is that person so, ha- so, so happy? Why are they so excited? Why are they crying? He was cut off from so much of human relationships. He was so isolated, so separated from so much what we take for granted, the ability to communicate and interact, to use words, to understand each other, to communicate and express our thoughts and our feelings to, to, to each other. So like a the, like the hungry child standing outside through the bakery window on the sidewalk, just staring through the window looking at all the food, can't get at it, can't access it, not available. It's hard for me to imagine just how cut off How isolated this man must have felt and understood himself to be. Although we've all experienced loneliness. We've all had situations, some more than others. Some struggle with it more than others. Some face it in harder ways than others. But all of us would have some kind of taste of what it feels like to be lonely. To not fit. To be cut off. To be separated from whether it's your social anxiety and walking into a room full of people and everybody's mingling and everybody's laughing and there you stand and you're so uncomfortable, feeling so isolated. I don't know how to break into this. I feel like I'm the only one in the room full of people. This man, let's just call him the loneliest man in the world, okay? This man... Jesus goes to. With this man, Jesus does some unusual things. So I read the passage and you think, okay, we've seen Jesus heal people. We know all he has to do is just say the word. People begging him, would you heal this man? Would you lay your hand? All he had to do was say the word. It's done. It could have been done. But he doesn't handle it that way. In order for you and me, to be able to see the sympathy of Jesus, his sympathy, to share someone else's feelings in a way that your feelings harmonize with theirs. Sharing that burden, coming somehow into that trouble, into that experience and sharing it. The the word literally means to co-suffer with another person. It doesn't necessarily require that you have to have exactly the same experience, but you need to be in some way familiar enough in order to share in the pain of the other person. When you have sympathy for someone, there is a heartfelt solidarity with their trouble. What's going on inside of them And what's going on inside of you are like two notes that are harmonizing. They flow together well. They they connect. They, They blend into something, a new sound, altogether new. What's ringing in your heart, the sorrow, the pain, the loneliness, whatever it might be, the person who can sympathize with you is the person that has a heart that can ring true with what's going on in your heart. In the book, we're desperately trying to give away in the lobby, so if you didn't get one, grab one. Dane Orland writes this, In our pain, Jesus is pained. In our suffering, he feels the suffering as his own, even though it isn't. Not that his invincible divinity is threatened, but in the sense that his heart is feelingly drawn into our distress, When we realize, when sympathy is there, and we realize that Jesus has sympathy for us, when we realize that something is ringing in his heart that harmonizes with the trouble and the struggle and the weakness that is going on in our hearts, there the work really begins. The work of grace begins at that point. Jesus cares about our troubles (laughs) better yet and he has the power to do something about them so jesus sympathizes with this man how does he do it first he takes him aside so for the sake of argument let's say jesus finds the loneliest person on the planet the person who would feel the most cut off who has had no verbal communication in his life, and he takes him aside into a private meeting. Jesus being, let's say, the most popular person on the planet at the time. His fame was spreading. He has crowds thronging him. He cannot get a day off. He's pressed to just get a chance to get away to pray because the crowds are pressing him. Everybody knows about him. Everybody wants to touch him. Everybody wants to be with him. And yet this man who has the whole crowds at his fingertips stops and takes this man aside into a private one-on-one meeting. The one who felt so isolated, so cut off, now he has a private audience with Jesus himself. This is the beginning of Jesus' sympathy for this man. I know the pain of the loneliness you feel. I understand what you are going through, what you have been going through, what you experience as a lifestyle. And I want you to know I am here for you. I want you to know that while you feel alone, you're not alone. I'm here with you, you and me, the two of us. There's nobody else present. Jesus' attention is not on anybody else. The rest of the world can stop. He's with one man, and he's all in, and he's all there for this man. I'm willing to be with you. I'm willing to do what it takes for you to not feel alone. I will be with you. And Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. I'm going to assume this is before ASL existed because America hadn't started yet, so probably no American Sign Language yet. The man cannot hear. He cannot understand words. Jesus comes, takes him aside, private, takes his hands, puts his fingers in his ears. Jesus knows sign language. Jesus knows how to communicate with a person that can't communicate. The man can see. The man can feel. He can't hear. He can't speak. So Jesus looks at him and touches, places his fingers in his ears to communicate, these things, these bizarre-looking appendages on the side of your head that you've had no use for your whole life, these things, I'm going to fix them. In just a minute, you're going to realize why these things are on the side of your head. In a minute, you're going to hear things you've never heard before. He takes this man... This troubled man touches him, touches his ears. These, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix these ears. Then he spits and touches the man's mouth. Okay, so let's, let's assume he spit in his hand and takes his wet hand and wipes it on the man's mouth. Now, besides being quite unsanitary and a little strange to us, At the time, it it really was perceived that miraculous power could be transferred through a person's spit, especially somebody of high rank and power. There are stories of this happening. And while it seems very strange, and you're all saying, "Please, no thank you, but gloves on, you know, wash, disinfect, you know, we're not interested in that. At the time... Jesus is communicating, again, something to the man that cannot communicate. I want you to know that I am and I have what you need for this. Something from me is going to change you. I'm going to fix these. I'm gonna fix this without saying a word. He knew exactly what was going on. And then Jesus sighs, he sighed. A sigh, interesting, it's just a, an interesting physical expression of some kind of inner trouble. When there's something difficult, challenging, hard, frustrating, whatever it might be going on, inside there's, there's, a, there's a physical way to manifest it without words, without saying, I'm so mad. This is so frustrating. I don't like this. This isn't right. He sighs. The man could see Jesus sighing. Now, up to this point, the private meeting could have been just a clinical healing meeting, like going to the doctor, stepping into the doctor's office, what's wrong, I can't hear, ah, okay, can't hear, good, got something for that, can fix that, oh, I can't speak either, no problem, got a pill for that, can fix that, here you go, here's your prescription, go around to the pharmacy, get your pills, that's it, which would be fine, we expect that from doctors. But Jesus does something different because because we're talking about the sympathy of Jesus and here he doesn't just heal him he sighs it was the sigh that changed everything because it was in the sigh that Jesus communicated his heart for this man it was through a sigh that Jesus communicated Wow, life's been hard. I see your trouble. I feel your pain. I understand it's not been easy for you. This must be very difficult. You know what? You not being able to speak, you not being able to hear, this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This needs to be fixed. You are a product of a broken, fallen world, and it should not be his sigh spoke volumes to the man who couldn't speak. In one voluntary, purposeful exhale, Jesus told this man just how much he knew and how much he cared. Your life is not how it was meant to be. But your life is going to be different when I'm done with you. So before any actual healing had taken place, this man learned so much about Jesus. You see the lesson here? I mean, he could have just spoken and healed him. and say, look how powerful Jesus is. He can heal deaf people and mute people. He is that powerful. And yet we get all these theatrics. We get all this variety. We get all this, what is he doing? Spitting, rubbing, touching, poking. What what is this all about? All that Jesus is communicating to this man. Something about himself before the power even shows up. Something that's hard to believe about Jesus. That Jesus is sympathetic to this man's weakness, to this man's trouble, to this man's hardship and knowing that about Jesus. So for a moment, while the man has his fingers in his ears and his spit and hand on his mouth and he sees Jesus sighing, this man learned so much about who Jesus is. And in that lesson, his heart would be one and inclined toward Jesus. And then Jesus heals him. He commands, open up, be opened. And as he spoke, it happened. The first words this man ever heard in his life, open up. Can you imagine? And there he is, face to face with Jesus, and he can hear. and yet not just healed but now i know this jesus sympathizes with me with my weakness with my life with my troubles he knows he doesn't just know he cares he doesn't just care i mean he he feels it when he sighed i can tell his heart was ringing a note that harmonized My heart. Point two, Jesus' sympathy for us. You say, great. I'm happy for him. He's healed. He's one in a list of people we read about in the Gospels that Jesus healed, touched, changed their lives. I'm glad, but what about me? Does that mean that he'll touch me too? If Jesus was sympathetic for that man, does that mean he's sympathetic for me too? Now it's getting hard to believe. Let me read you a couple sentences from Octavius Winslow. He was a pastor in England and America, 19th century contemporary of Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle and... Uh, Different ones. He was a well known uh, pastor that wrote much, and he r- preached a sermon about the sigh of Jesus. And at the outset, he makes this point let me read it to you. Let the fact be constantly before your mind that you are not reading of a Savior who was, but of a Savior who is that the Lord Jesus is moved by the same sympathy, is possessed of the same power, and is as quickly and as tenderly responsive to the appeal of the sorrowful and the necessities of the needy as when the tabernacle of his humanity adorned and consecrated our earth and when to its asylum thronged earth sons and daughters of suffering and woe, Oh, it is a truth as replete with comfort as with wonder, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His point is this. It is who Jesus is. The sympathy of Jesus for that man wasn't so much about that man. It's who Jesus is. And he is who he is. And he is the same then as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. He cannot turn to you and become someone else. Jesus is sympathetic to the weak, to the needy, to your troubles, to my struggles. He is. It's who he is. It is about Jesus. This little miracle, no small miracle, but it is really touching on something broader. So let's talk for a minute about what our trouble is. More broadly, because the Scripture is directing us. The miracle is meant to speak more broadly, and there's a clue in here that you can't really find it so much in the English as you can in the original because Mark chose a very unusual word that some of your translations say he had a speech impediment. Now the end of the section that we read when the people said he does all things well because he causes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak, that word there is really the common word for being mute. But earlier on, Mark uses a, a different word to describe him being mute. What's unique about that is there's only one other time in the Greek Bible, Old Testament, where that particular word is being used, and it's in Isaiah 35, verses five and six. When Isaiah prophesies, and says that the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So it's an unusual word, it's found in one place, and Mark says, let me take that word and put it in this story so that we'll realize there's something bigger taking place here it moves us towards a broader theme one that's building in the gospel of mark as we've been studying through it is this idea of people not being able to comprehend and understand who jesus is do you too lack understanding in other words he would from the prophets and say, oh, you have ears, but you don't hear. Oh, you have eyes, but you don't perceive. I'm telling you things of the kingdom. I'm presenting myself to you, and yet you look at me with bewilderment. You see me, but you don't see me. You hear my words, but you don't hear my words. That's the theme that's been building that Jesus is touching on here again. I said earlier that we all have experienced loneliness, and I'm sure we all have, and as I said, some more than others, but biblically speaking, the reality is all of us have been cut off, cut off from God, isolated from God, separated from God. This is the story of the Bible. This is our great dilemma sin has entered and separated us from god we're cut off we're we're separated we can't commune with god in a sinful unregenerate guilty state we cannot come into communion with a holy god in that state that's the problem we can't communicate can't really hear god's voice can't really speak words to God of God why because spiritually speaking we're deaf and we're mute sin has separated us this is the essence of sin God speaks but I can't hear him I won't hear him did God really say I don't think that's what God said I doubt that he really meant that that is the essence of sin we cannot hear what God is saying and just as being deaf often corresponds with being unable to speak, so being unable to hear rightly from God leaves us unable to speak rightly before God. James 3.10 tells us that out of the same mouth come blessing and cursings. Well, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Both blessings and cursings can come out of our mouths. We cannot speak rightly. We are, in a sense, Mute, spiritually speaking. We don't speak as we ought. I don't know if this has dawned on you, but your mouth, my mouth, our words, our ability to speak, these are gifts from God to be used for God. The Bible talks extensively about how we have been called to talk which is kind of a strange thing to think about because we're so used to uh, just assuming it's my mouth, my thoughts, my ideas. I'm free to communicate, and yet God calls us to himself, redeems us, and redeems our words and redeems our mouths, and said, now this is why I created your mouth. Do you remember him calling Moses and Moses complaining, I can't talk well, don't choose me, go find somebody else? He said, who made your mouth? It's a rhetorical question. God did. So, Moses, when I tell you to go and use your mouth, what do you say? Yes, Lord, is the right answer. How does Jesus sympathize with us in this trouble. it takes on humanity. Jesus leaves his place in glory and condescends and makes his way to the earth, into the world, taking on human form, becoming like us, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to come to us. He had to take on human form. He became a man, entered our world, stepped into this fallen world that you and I live in, took on that same human form that you and I possessed and walked more than a mile in our shoes. It says in every respect. Did you know that Jesus can identify with your troubles? Do You know that when you struggle with something, and I know your situation is unique, but do you know that whatever struggle you're experiencing there is a note in the heart of Jesus that harmonizes with that struggle that you feel, that you know. He may not have experienced the precise details that you have, but he has. You say, I feel abandoned. People have left me. Oh, well, Jesus has a note for that. Jesus has been there. Oh, I know what you're going through. I was at a crucial point. It's ahead of the story here, but he was at a crucial point where he needed his friends the most, so you would think, at a moment when every one of his friends ran off and scattered immediately. I was thinking about this on my walk in this morning. It's like, as I struggle with the thoughts that run through my mind sometimes, I just, I wonder, was Jesus holding back thoughts like, you know, you bunch of saps, you you bunch of lousy friends, you spoke so big, you talking about your loyalty, you made such big promises, and then a the moment of trouble comes and off you go. I mean, how was Jesus tempted in that moment? What, what was he struggling with? I mean, I know the thoughts that go through my mind, and then when I take those to the Lord, and and I go to Jesus with that weakness, and I know he didn't. He's forgiving his friends he's understanding of their trouble he bears the hardship of their abandonment in his hour of need hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way yet without sin hebrews four fifteen. we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect had been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus and think, oh, well, that's him. He never sinned. So I can't relate to him and he can't relate to me because I've sinned and he didn't. He's Jesus. He's perfect. He he never sinned don't go there you're you're completely missing the point The, the point is he was tempted like you and i have been tempted yet he did not sin okay so think for example jesus ran the marathon and i run the marathon but i fall over after three miles and i collapse i give in I can't look to Jesus and say, well, you don't know what it's like to run three miles. He says, I know exactly what, it li- what it's like to run three miles. I ran the whole distance. C.S. Lewis uses an illustration, like we're walking against temptation, like walking against a strong wind, a headwind is just blowing us back, and we're struggling, and we're struggling, and we're fighting, and we're fighting, and then finally we just buckle, and we go down to our knees, and we go down to the ground because we can't resist the wind anymore. And his point is that Jesus never buckled, never went down. The the point is to say this, it's not that Jesus doesn't understand you, he understands you better than you understand yourself. See, he knows what it means to resist sin five minutes after you and I gave into it. He knows what it's like to resist temptation all the way to the end. I don't know what that's like. I haven't had that experience. I get to my limit, sometimes all too quickly and we buckle, and, and we yield. And, and Jesus is telling us not to outdo us, not to belittle us. He's trying to say, I understand what you're going through, okay? You can't endure temptation any longer than I have. However long you've endured it, I've endured it too. I want you to know that. So I, I did that so that I could be a good high priest to you. I know what you're going through. I know what you're fighting. I know what you're struggling with. I've been there. But when you and i feel neglected like life is passing us by maybe we feel like we lack purpose clarity we're struggling with our identity maybe we're having to come face to face with our failures and our shortcomings or we realize how cold and indifferent our hearts can be we realize the sloth like sanctification process how slowly we're growing in the lord We look at the the lust that we have given into, yielded too many times that we can count. And the fallenness of our own souls and the world we live in comes closing in on us. And the message is this, that I want you to know that Jesus is right there. That in that point, of weakness and struggle that that's where the sympathy of Jesus rings truest loudest and best he was made for moments like that the moments that you and I are so inclined to think Jesus does not want to have anything to do with me now not here not in this way and yet he does because of the sympathy of Jesus. He knows the pain. He sighs because he understands. He can relate. And his heart is drawn to you and me in our weakness. And he heals us. The ultimate purpose of Christ Restore communication between humanity and the Father. A sea of humanity that is deaf and mute. They cannot hear God. They are not listening for God. They're not paying attention to God. They're not speaking to God. There is a breakdown in communication. They have been isolated. And Jesus comes and lays himself down. He is the one. Giving his own life so that this can be healed, so that this can be restored, so that our ears can be open and hear what God is saying. The sympathy of Jesus makes all the difference. Who's affected you in your life? Who's, who's touched you in, in your life? More often than not, it's not celebrities, it's not people up front, it's the person that at that moment came alongside of you and you sensed that they had something going on in their heart that rang in harmony with what was going on in yours. You're experiencing trouble, pain, weakness, loneliness, struggle, setbacks, and God brings somebody into your life This says, I know, I know, me too, and they sigh. I feel your pain. This is Jesus. This is who Jesus is. He cannot not be like this, unsympathetic. He is there to be sympathetic. And when Jesus is sympathetic, he awakens our attention. I've listened to hundreds of personal testimonies, and I love doing it, and I never get tired of doing it. I do it in the membership interviews. I do it when I meet people. Tell me how God saved you. Tell me how God worked in your life. Tell me, tell me your story. I, I, I just, I never get tired of, of hearing these stories. And while everyone is unique, they all contain these similar components and oftentimes most of the time in fact in everyone whether they decide to include it in the story or not everyone comes to a moment everyone who is a christian who is converted who god has drawn into himself up to this point they had a moment they had a point in their life where their their ears were opened and there was a but there was this realization that's like he knows me He knows me, he knows what I'm experiencing. Somehow we we connect, this, this connection of the sympathy of Jesus becomes known to us and it so astonishes us like the people in the last verse that we read, so astonished he does all things well. He knows how to speak to you in your situation. He knows how to take you aside. He knows how to communicate to you. He knows how he, to sigh, in a sense, to tell you he knows what you're going through. And I want you to be confident that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not a story of the day in the past. It's a story that tells us about who he is, and he's the same for you. You can have the worship team Whatever's left of it, come on up. The actual healing in this particular case was prefaced with the sympathy of Jesus. And I want you to know that Jesus sympathizes with you. He knows you. And most importantly, what is the hard part? Is that because he knows what he knows, he's inclined towards you. He does not want you to be isolated. Folks, the last two years have put an unusual burden on us as a church. The, the, the struggle of the isolation, the withdrawing, the losing the loss, the the, the suffering, the fear, the challenges, all all the things that are going on. And and honestly, church, the, the, the struggle is when these struggles come, the inclination is to pull back even further. Could I implore you, challenge you, warn you, like No other time, the importance of pressing in to the Lord and pressing in to one another. It is not a time to isolate and withdraw. We need each other more than we realize. And there's, we've not experienced a season, you could say our, our need is always the same, it's always desperate. But let's be real, it's really desperate. We need each other more than ever. We need to be that church. We need to be that community and you know what? It doesn't just happen. It happens because you move in, it happens because you pick up the phone, it happens because you go to that community group, it happens because you go to that community group and open up your heart to others. It happens because you ask for prayer, it happens because you confess your sin. It happens because you come ready to worship. It happens because you participate, it happens because you engage. All these things are a means of grace for God to be at work in our lives. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, have you, have you felt like withdrawing? Have you felt like giving up? Have you felt like pulling back? Oh, well, let's do it. Raise your hand. Have you felt like giving up? Have you felt like pulling back? Have you felt like, ah, uh, I'm done? It's not really working so well for me. I think I'd rather do less. I think I'll just stay home. I think I'll find something else. Could we just kind of pull the curtain back and look at our enemy and realize that's him. That's his message. Because if he can get you isolated, he's got you. He'll come in for the kill. Just get you alone, separated from the body, separated from the Lord. Ah, I don't get much out of that Bible anyway. I can go a few days without it, a few months. Uh, Do we really need to go to church? Pull back, isolate less and less. This is the warning. This is how he destroys. This is how he kills. So destroy your faith, isolate you, kill you. Good news is, when you feel like giving up the most, you have Jesus sympathetic to your situation. And when you feel at your worst, his heart is inclined to you all the more. Do you believe that? You must, you need to. It's hard to believe because you don't feel like it, but it's true. Let's stand. Father in heaven, thank you for loving your people. Me, them, all of us, thank you that you have such a heart. Lord, we often come face to face with our weakness, with our deficiencies, with our needs. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would enliven our hearts with this reality that while we feel lost and isolated, (laughs) you see us, you take us aside, set up a private meeting, get us eye to eye, put your fingers in our ears, Wipe your hand on our mouth. Breathe out a sigh of compassion for our situation. And then you say the word be opened, be healed, be made new. Do it for your glory.